0: Tales of a well established lesbian. Chapter 18. What did you want to be when you grew up? Doctor, nurse, police, fire, ambulance, uh, cowboy, Indian, robber, astronaut? There was definitely a whole period. After I met Helen Sharman, the first woman to visit the Mir space station, as well as being the first British woman in space, that I was very enamoured with the idea of being an astronaut. Also, I thought the spacesuits were pretty cool, if I'm honest. And then, then she went and talked about how working hard in school was really important, and I'll be honest with you, she kind of lost me at that point maybe professional sports person or at least, you know, maybe a well-sponsored amateur. Hmm, that seemed like an idea. And on more than one occasion, in more than one sport, my potential to be included in an Olympic squad was a very real and tantalisingly close possibility. Now, all of this had me put in my dreams of joining the fire service on the back burner. I was all in for sport, right? And in the process of recovering from various injuries, I realized that, well, even if I didn't make it in sport, I could still work in sport somehow, you know? And around age 14 in England and in many other parts of the UK, you start to have to focus your academic choices. So you'll kind of pick a language, you'll pick a humanities subject, you'll pick a skills subject. And I really wanted to do physical education, PE, maybe with a view to doing sports science down the road. Possibly some of my more sensible thinking, I thought, and I figured this is gonna give me extra training time in school win-win sensible decision made just gotta get my parents to sign it off they refuse then i'm gonna sign it and it all starts off about how it's like it's not a good idea to close my options off so early how i should maybe try and keep my potential career path as wide as possible at this point. I argued vehemently, and it turned out in vain. I pointed out that, you know, I could be a PE teacher, as one of the many avenues these qualifications could take me down. This, this shut the conversation down. You're not gonna be a bloody PE teacher, I remember my dad exclaiming at one point. I'm not saying the lesbian PE teacher stereotype had everything to do with this. But I have very strong suspicions. Let's just leave it at that. So sport was just for fun. And yes, if I excelled, wonderful. But I had to focus on my academics and being a more well-rounded individual as far as my parents concerned. And yes... With hindsight, it wasn't a terrible plan. I'm looking back, I get it. But, age 22 or 23, with all of these choices behind me and nothing to show for it, hmm, wasn't feeling it. I was thinking back through, you know, those dream jobs or ideal jobs you had in your head when you were younger. The ones you contemplated previously. Now the fire service, that was out. I was a full-time glasses wearing individual now and that meant no running into burning buildings for me. The police had always tempted me. Again, that desire to be of service but potentially with some excitement and drama about it too. And, if I'm honest, there was a little bit of a naive notion of being on the inside of an institution that didn't have the best reputation and still doesn't, and that maybe I can make a difference that way. You know, I'd met some really good police officers in my time and in my interactions and I thought maybe, maybe I could be one of them. Plus, I really wanted to drive a police car, like ridiculously fast, with blues and twos on. Just absolutely, that was up there on the list. But I'll be honest with you, I'd kind of kept the police plan to myself. It wasn't generally that popular, and also, you know, I wasn't wasn't entirely sure whether you know I could get in. Um, and so that's all it ever really was—a very quiet little Plan B tucked in my pocket and yes in my fantasies I might have risen gloriously through the ranks and joined an armed response unit and been just so butch it was untrue. I might have been watching a little bit too much SWAT, just saying. In real life I'm trapped in a shitty call center job and I'm going Nowhere. And I'm not even going there fast. And she'd got me wondering if I really should be doing more. It kind of felt like I'd just accepted my fate. And then one day, I quietly applied to the police. And to be honest, I didn't really expect anything to come of it. After I'd lived with the gay boys, I'd ended up renting a tiny room, like you couldn't have even have swung a cat in there. I'm not sure you could have got me and a cat in it at the same time, to be honest with you. Uh, this woman clearly didn't want to rent a room. she wanted to rent a friend. My refusals to attend curry nights led to a level of hostility that had me moving on too sweet. I ended up in a lovely flat. With a lovely flatmate for a year or so. I mean Anne really had been quite a good influence and then in a drive to free up some more fun monies I went back to renting a room. Now after the crazy curry landlady I wasn't dead keen on another live-in landlord but Pete seemed all right he did and the house was lovely and The rent was a bargain. It should have been cheaper. Pete gave off a very convincing air of respectability. Semi-retired car dealer, pretty cultured, very well travelled, which all went to shit after the second bottle of wine. He was also outrageously camp when drunk. But Pete Pete was a ladies man through and through. He did pretty well for himself. I can't I can't lie, a lonely weekend for Pete was a rare thing. Now what with Pete being, you know, a little wild? It came as no surprise that his lady friends were often of a similar ilk meaning myself and my other housemate, were often treated to the kind of rows you would have more expected from love-struck teenagers. There was one particular lady that she had it bad for Pete, honestly. She was more loco than him. She'd turn up at all hours and if she wasn't knocking on the front door she'd be calling his phone, calling the house phone. One day she was just Sat in the back garden like she'd been invited around to some barbecue that none of us knew anything about. Just insistent is a word I'd use. Now, Pete. Pete broke up with her in very clear and very direct language, and then he promptly buggered off on holiday to recover from the whole thing. A few days pass. And I am the only one home, enjoying the typical perks of being home alone. Wandering around in my pants. Got the music turned up and I am shaking my ass. It's about 9pm, something like that, and I realise there's nobody home. I can have a long, lazy bath without inconveniencing a single soul without somebody hammering on the door, telling me why they need to use the room. Hmm. I open the door to the bathroom with nothing but bubbles on my mind. I yank on the pull cord for the light. And at the top of the bathroom window is an opening that runs the full width of the window. But it only opens part way and it creates a gap of no more than around six inches. Pretty good for ventilation, not much use for anything else. It is in this gap that Pete's most recent ex-lady friend is currently wedged. She's stuck and around the waist. Her arms and her head are inside the bathroom. Her arse and her legs are outside, on the first floor, at about nine, half nine at night. She's wearing a spaghetti strap top. Well, could have been a dress. Couldn't see the lower half of her. And I, I am stood there in me pants. She looks at me. I look at her. And all I can think to say is, Pete's not home. She has the good grace to look a little embarrassed about the whole thing. But just mutters, "Oh, oh, okay." The information about Pete not being home seems to add to her indecision. I don't think she expected to have to climb back down from the window. Suspect she thought whichever way this was all going to play out, she'd believe in via a door. In my semi-naked shock. I actually didn't really consider the door option um, and I just kind of thought she should go back the way she came. And so I turned the light off and closed the door. Which, again, hindsight, wasn't the most helpful thing I could have done. I turned my music off and I listened for the sound of a crazy lady leaving the garden. She had and she left the gate wide open. The stack of garden furniture she'd used to scale to the bathroom heights was still there. God, I couldn't wait to tell Tess about this one. The call centre where I was working was more like a youth club. Anyone over 30 could automatically be assumed to be management. Not to mention, their business attire stood out against the sea of jeans and hoodies. We had two types of employees, the comfy crowd, sensible, generally tidily attired, but, you know, just chilling. And then there was a whole other crowd who treated every single day like it was both a catwalk and a dating site. And the inter-office fraternizations and the web they weaved would have made Alice from the L word, made her head explode, frankly. Now, obviously... I loved the soap opera level drama of it all. Loved it. And to be fair, we all worked together and party together a lot. And in these times, it was all about taking your digital camera on a night out. There was always one or two people who always had one. And we, we had a wall of shame in the office for those absolutely priceless photos that you really hope nobody ever took of you. This was something we were only just starting to have to deal with. I mean, it could be a nightmare job working in this call centre, but it's the people, as always, who make it better or bearable. But nothing, nothing improves your motivation to get to work like an office crush. At this point, I've become a floor supervisor which basically is a fancy title there's no extra pay but I do get to get shouted at by customers when they want to speak to a manager immediately and I get to wander the floor yeah just not quite as chained to a desk happy days perfect for a bit of flirting all over the office yeah and I'd noticed Tess when she started she caught my eye shall we say but I wasn't the only one Tess turned a lot of heads in the office and to be honest I kept my distance aside from the odd friendly passing flirt at some point Tess started hanging out with our kind of group and she'd be at the pub for lunch or after work and then she was on a night out and Bit by bit, we became friends. I knew she enjoyed my attentions. And at times, the flirting, frankly, was outrageous. And it was clear for everybody else to see. I mean, everything devolved into some sort of play fight. Couldn't even walk down the road together without shoulder barging into each other or trying to trip each other up. We became inseparable. I'd be hanging out at hers while she got ready for nights out and stuff. you know. And she'd just be wandering around in pretty lingerie sets, you know, holding up the evening's outfit options. Just a constant battle between my chivalrous butch self and the instinctual butch. I tried to avert my eyes, you know, offer her some privacy. But let's be honest, Tess didn't want privacy. She wanted privacy. She'd have made sure she had it. She wanted my eyes on her. And on so many occasions, I stood behind her, zipped her into a dress, completely intoxicated by the scent of her, by the line of her neck dip into her shoulder. And I'd have to shake myself out of it, like I just... I didn't make a move, she felt safe with me and I didn't want to ruin that. So while all the so-called signs said she knew exactly what she was doing, we never discussed it and she continued to occasionally date guys from the office. I was crushing hard on another straight girl as I saw her and While I'd love to have been the one taking her out on a date, I settled once more for friendship. And believe me, I am not complaining about the friend zone at all. Okay, I just want to clarify that. You know, realizing that, you know, your desires are not aligned with someone else's and still being able to, you know, put that aside, get past it and pursue a friendship is an absolutely great place to be, as long As you're not secretly hoping that one day she's gonna look at you differently, or she's gonna change her mind, or she's gonna realise how nice you are. And I was. I was secretly hoping all of that was gonna happen. It felt like a very faint hope, I'm not gonna lie. Especially when the Playboy IT manager at work made his move on Tess. Him and his classic handsome face with his well-paid job and sports car. Oh, I hated him and his smug face. And he was really well-dressed as well. I hated him because I wanted to be him. Alright, honestly. So, date one with the Playboy, that went very well. He was an absolute gentleman, according to the blow-by-blow account of the night, that I got. Date two wasn't quite as smooth, it seemed. Less detail this time, but there was a third on the cards. Dinner, and then she was hoping back to his. The big third date. And uh, I'm not going to lie, really hoping for minimal details after this one. Didn't feel the need for a debrief, gotta be honest. So Friday night was date night. Tess is excited, she looks amazing, she takes me a photo, she looks fantastic. All right? He is a very lucky man. I am not jealous at all. It's all good. And actually, it's a pretty quiet night at Pete. He's been on the red wine mid afternoon, and he is now snoring gently in the conservatory my geeky housemate is up in his loft room doing something suitably geeky I have had a very unsuccessful evening on gaydar girls and I'm in bed when Tess starts blowing up my phone it's probably the fourth or fifth call when I noticed the screen lighting up the room and I grabbed the phone Tess is drunk and hysterical He's become a horrible prick. She wants to leave and she hasn't got enough money for a cab. He's not willing to take her. I'm already half-dressed, to be honest. I've got, you know, I've got my farm keys. And by the time I get there, she is more drunk and still crying. Between the sobs, the story of the evening unfolds. He was in a bad mood from the moment he picked her up low-level arsiness. She put it down to a stressful week. He was rude to the waiter, she felt uncomfortable. He was just generally being quite unpleasant. And yet, she figured, you know, maybe when he was home and relaxed, it would all be okay. It wasn't. He had expectations, and he didn't see that he needed to be in a good mood for those to be fulfilled. And he really didn't appreciate being turned down. After calling her some names, apparently he got very cold and dismissive, told her to find her own way home and went upstairs to bed. I assume he didn't think that it should have taken her longer than five minutes to do this. So he came back down to shout at her to get out. At this point, she left, grabbing her a bottle of wine on her way out, and she had finished that whilst waiting for me to come and get her, crying her eyes out. I checked she's got her house keys. Her daddy's shorter than me, but phew, he could take your head off, no trouble at all. Short man syndrome was alive and well there. I didn't fancy facing him to be honest, but needs must. Turns out, though, Tess is not too drunk to realise that she does not want to go home and potentially have to deal with her dad either. Houston, we have a problem. I am not allowed overnight guests without notice. And more importantly, I've only got a single bed. All right, OK. One problem at a time. I will pull up at home. Everything is dark. I leave Tess snoring gently in the passenger seat. That window is gonna leave a lovely mark on her forehead, but what can you do? Not my priority right now. I check the coast is clear. Pete has put himself to bed. Thank God. I get back to the car. Takes a bit of effort to wake up Tess, but I get her moving. And eventually I manage to negotiate through the stairs and sit her on my bed. I go downstairs to grab a glass of water and I think to myself, maybe I'll just grab a bowl. Just in case, you know, let's be sensible about this. I get back to my bedroom and Tess, Tess has put herself to bed. Naked. Tess is naked in my bed. I know this because the duvet is on the floor. Instead of covering her. Duvet and Tess's modesty restored, I realised that my night is going to end on the floor. Of all the ways I'd hoped to get Tess in my bed, this, this was not it. It's a bit of a rough morning after for Tess. Nothing a good fry-up and a suitable bitch about couldn't help with. Between that and having woken up naked in my bed, Tess and I were kind of pretty close these days. Things had got a bit serious with that spurious police application I'd put in. You know, I'd gone and passed the initial assessments and then I went and passed this whole two-day assessment centre and I passed another interview and... Well, then I went and passed like this fitness test and all of a sudden, I had a date to start my training as a police officer. Plan B was a go. I decided this deserved a celebration and a holiday was in order. Tess's aunt had a villa in Marbella with a pool and we were welcome to use it for two weeks if we wanted. Um, don't mind if I do. Two weeks in the sun, with Tess in a bikini, that'll do nicely. And I mean, who knows? I was strutting, people. Strutting. It was all coming together. I was going somewhere at last, and I didn't just mean Marbella. Well, I would have been if I had a current passport. I'd gone and left it so late that I was gonna have to go to London and pay a lot of money for one of them fast track renewal jobbies. I figured I'd make a day of it, you know, do some holiday shopping. And so when I quit my job at the call centre, oh yeah, I booked a day off, treated myself and this meant as I was heading into London that day I only had three days left in that job and then it was all sun, sea and a bit of maybe in Marbella I was going to come back and become an upstanding police officer who was making a difference stood in the passport office queue just one more desk to sit at before the four hour wait for my new passport Plenty of time to shop, I thought. I shuffled forward in the queue. Board shorts and bikini tops. Yeah, that's how I'm gonna butch up my swimwear. Nice, you know, surfer shorts, nice little triangle bikini top. Yeah, that works, I like this. Wonder how Tess feels about, you know, people going topless. My daydreaming is rudely interrupted by the loud ringing of a phone. That's awkward. It's fine. People are staring at me across this very hushed office. It's the police recruitment number. Oh man, something must be wrong with my uniform fitting that I'd had the other day. I better take this call. Jane, who was my recruitment handler, wasn't calling about my uniform. Oh no, She'd apparently been finalising my file and, uh, well, it turned out it was missing my optician's report. Good news, she said, not to worry. She'd found the form. Except the bad news was my eyesight was uh, just outside of the minimum requirements. What are you saying, Jane? My tone drew a look or two. What Jane meant was, uh, don't bother turning up to training in two and a half weeks' time, because you're not going to be a copper. Well, not unless I get laser eye surgery in the next six months, which was about £3,000 per eye at that time. And then Jane said if I did that, she could fast track my reapplication just like that. I mean, Jane was very sorry about all of this, but she hoped I had a really good day. Yeah, alright Jane, I will. I'm sure I will. Thank God that face didn't end up on my passport. I walked out of that office with my four-hour wait ahead of me. And do you know what the weather was like, listeners? You've got it. Blue skies, sunshine. A beautiful fucking day. Across the road, narrowly avoiding a mean girl's ending. There's a pub on a corner. Of course it is. It's London. Bollocks to shopping. I need a drink. Do not go to police training. Do not become a police officer. Do not pass go and do not collect £200. Actually, if life is a game, at that point it felt like snakes and bloody ladders and I was sliding all the way back to square one. Now now I was gonna to have to come up with a plan bloody C. And I didn't have a plan bloody C. And I had to unquit my job. Oh unquitting a job. Worst feeling ever. And I'm gonna to need to do it pretty quick. Thankfully, they were happy to keep me. I mean don't get me wrong, a few people were pissed off that they'd put their hand in for my leaving collection, but uh you know, they could get over it while I was getting over it in Marbella. Both Tess and I were ready for a holiday right now. We landed, we hit the supermarket, stocked up on all the food and drink and settled in to the villa. Tess looked amazing in her swimsuits and a bikinis, um, but the whole police thing had thrown me for a loop. The flirting was light, nothing much. But slowly the sun started to melt away my sulky mood. All right, so I needed a new plan. So what? I'd figure it out, yeah? Never mind all of that, I'm on holiday. Speaking of which, the novelty of this whole self-catering thing was wearing off, you know? There's only so many barbecues you can be bothered to do. So by the end of week one, we are very ready to go out for dinner. And that's what we did over the next couple of nights. We went out for dinner and they started to feel more and more like a date. And Tess, Tess is starting to lean into moments more and more. Couple of nights, I totally went to bed knowing I'd let the perfect chance to kiss her pass me by. You know, the end of the holiday is fast approaching To be honest with you, I was not ready to contemplate a life that didn't involve Tess bringing me bacon sandwiches by the pool every morning. I wasn't ready for reality. I didn't want to go back. It's a night or two before we go home, and dinner's turned into drinks, and then we've gone for a bit of a wander along the beachfront, and we found another bar doing some fabulous cocktail specials, and uh, we have a couple of drinks there. And then we think we'll take some for the road. We won't get a taxi tonight. No, 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 no. We're gonna walk back to the villa. Tessa's got her heels in her hand, dangling by the straps between her fingers so she can hold both cocktails. At the foot of the hill back up to the villa, we suddenly remember why we've taken a taxi every single night so far. This bloody hill is practically vertical bloody night now we're committed we make slow progress but we do finally make it back to the villa thank god we had two cocktails to make it up that hill we negotiate the first set of gates without too much trouble but I cannot get the front door open Tess thinks she can I mean she's wrong but she thinks she can she insists I move and lets me, you let her do it. She's having none of it. I insist she moves and lets me do it. She's having none of it. I try to pull her away from the door. She starts fighting me and we end up face to face against the front door. And then something changed. Right there, some sort of line just got crossed in her mind. And Tess kissed me months of anticipation exploded in that moment. And I'll be honest with you, I made it last. I did. I was very, very glad I did as well. Because we'd gotten so close, but this, this shift created a very new and very different distance between us. All of a sudden, there were a bunch of new lines to be crossed new moments to have it was like you'd reached a certain level of closeness and reset here's the next level and Tess wasn't about you know jumping into a relationship with me but it also didn't feel like it was just a holiday romance thing either or maybe it was all wishful thinking on my part In that last day or two, there was the odd moment, here or there, but nothing much. On the very last night, Tess actually asked me outright and direct how I felt about her. And I laid it out. I liked her, but zero pressure. Nothing's got to change, but if she wants it to, it could. And then there was a kiss that night that told me it wasn't going to be our last. I mean, that sounds a bit cocky. All right. Very cocky. Right. But this cockiness was built on sand. It started to fade very quickly as each day passed when we got back and she didn't get in touch. Tess had gone very quiet on me. I wasn't seeing her at work because I'd had to take the opposite schedule of shifts to get my job back. All I could think is I'd blown it with her. I'd pushed too hard, I'd freaked her out, I'd scared her off and, oh, I was convinced of this now, just as much as I'd been convinced of my earlier cockiness. You know, what goes up must come down. And against every desire in me, I gave her some space. I mean, you know, just a step back for a moment and tried to be just a teeny bit rational. Come on now, we've just spent two solid weeks together. It got a bit intense towards the end. Everybody just needs to calm down right now. Everybody just calm down. And then the text slowly started up again after a week or so. And by the end of the second week, it was like nothing had ever happened. I was both relieved and disappointed. Okay, good. She's still my friend. But anything more that seemed to just exist in that moment in time. That was it. That was all it was ever going to be, it seemed. And so back to reality the standard office Friday night out was on the agenda. And back to normal, I'd get ready at Tess's, I'd drive us both in, you know, the same as we'd done before the holiday. And I, I just knew I had to be cool about it. I couldn't let her see that I was bothered. I just, if she can act like it never happened, well then, so could I, no problems. And so that, that is exactly what I did. And that night in particular turned out to be a top night. I think that we'd seen each other for a couple of weeks. Everybody was in the mood for it. Top, top four. And actually, I didn't spend much time with Tess. She was off with the girls and I was over with the lads and uh, we were throwing some serious shapes. And honestly, being the most unhelpful wingmen, Shy Guy Amir had been led astray by a very wild-looking young lady, and he was looking very, very pleased about it. To be honest, it was a rare result for a very top lad, and we cheered embarrassingly loudly for him. I mean, I'd not been idle myself all evening. There was a girl who just kept giving me the eye, and we had, uh, you know, those little glances back and forth, she just always seemed to be in my eyeline. But I'll be honest with you, I'd not made a move. Yeah, my heart wasn't really in it. I was still, still wondering about Tess. The girls came and joined the lads on the dance floor and Tess was back. She comes over and she starts to dance and she gets real close against me and all of a sudden it doesn't feel like she's playing about, and I am really aware that everyone we know can see this. On one hand, I am not sorry about that. On the other, Tess interrupts my thoughts to tell me that she wants me to take her home. She pauses and clarifies. She wants me to take her to bed. Oh. Oh. I hadn't imagined it. I had not imagined it. It did bloody happen. It was real. And it was about to get a whole lot more real. Thank you for listening to Tales of a Well-Established Lesbian. If you've been enjoying yourself so far, would you kindly... Think about leaving a review. That is, of course, if you're allowed. Uh, If your preferred podcast platform, for example, though, doesn't let you leave a review, hey, why not leave a review on Facebook? That's a thing, apparently. Or I guess you could just come over and follow on Instagram and enjoy the wonderful content there. The options are endless. Well, actually, they're not. There's like it, those are the options. You know, but endless was a stretch. What could I say? You'll be pleased to know that this outro is not endless. Uh, thank you, as always, for the privilege of your time. And Join me again next week to find out what happens. Take care.